If you were here last week, a little bit of this will be review at the beginning. If you weren't here, we'll give you a summary. So much has happened in our culture so fast. And we as the people of God, we as the body of Christ, can no longer afford to be silent. We in the West live in a culture of exponentially accelerating insanity. There's a definite agenda. I don't want us confused about that or ignorant. An active undoing of what our culture has fundamentally been in the past. There's a grand conspiracy and Satan is the author of it. A conspiracy to deny the truth of God, the creation of God, and the existence of God. And this is an agenda that's conditioning us to ignore our very eyes, ignore our very ears, so that even the most fundamental and obvious truths are called into question. And in these messages, last week it was kind of an introduction. Today I'm going to talk about men. But what God has placed on my heart is, what does God say about men and women? And we, listen, if you know the Lord, we've listened to enough of what they think about what men and women, what they think you should do in your home, what they think you should do in your schools. We've listened to that enough. And what I'm saying they, I'm saying everybody other than God. It's time that we return to foundational biblical Christianity and stop filtering everything we think or say through the lens of our current cultural trends. Have y'all noticed yourself filtering what you allow to come out of your mouth? It's good to filter uh, corrupt things and, and harshness and stuff like that. You don't need to filter the truth, ever. If you've ever heard somebody boldly say something true and you start shrinking like, oh no, Ooh, he's not allowed to say that, that's not how we're supposed to be. And here's why it matters. This is not about us being right this is not about, as I said earlier, this is not about us getting in our little tribes and agreeing with each other. Why this matters is because the truth matters, because the truth is what sets you free. That's what, that's, that's, I want to make this very clear. I'm not mad at sinners. I'm not mad at people caught up in, in sin. I, I was one of those till God saved me. I'm not mad at them. And I could name specific sins. I don't think that's necessary. But whatever struggle you might have, I'm not mad. And God's not mad at you. He loves you. You know who I'm frustrated and mad at is the people who are convincing children, brainwashing children, that they need to be a certain thing, that God didn't make them what they were supposed to be. That's not okay. It's bad. It's evil. And this, if you see some fire in me, that's part of why. We're supposed to protect children. And evil people have been sacrificing children forever. You read in the Old Testament about Moloch and some of those evil gods, they're still alive. But they're not the living God. We need to keep our eyes on. This is why I care about this. Not just because I want people to agree with me. Because it matters. Now, those in the world around us, those who disagree with us, need to hear the truth. Speak the truth in love, friends. Yes, but we must speak the truth. Withholding truth is neither kind nor loving. We, we, we bought into a brand of Christianity, a false Christianity, that conditioned all of us to believe that Christianity means being nice. You think being a Christian means you have to be nice. What is being nice? Not making somebody uncomfortable. Jesus made everybody uncomfortable, except honest, hearted seekers. 
Everyone else was uncomfortable with him. The only people who weren't uncomfortable with him were the people who knew they were sinners and knew they needed a Savior. Everybody else he made uncomfortable. Why? Because he loved them, because he cared about the truth. He, he didn't establish this brand of Christianity that says you have to be nice and never make people uncomfortable. We've got to get out of that. doesn't mean we have to be nasty and mean. That's not good either. We just need to focus on God and preach the truth and speak the truth and live the truth. I want to read this too, a portion of Psalm 19. I started the message last week with this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no sound or they use no words, but their voice goes into all the earth. What's their voice saying, the skies? What are the skies saying? Glory to God. Praise the name of God. That's what they're saying, and, and, and words that I can't even utter. And then we know from Romans 1 that the wrath of God... Here's, here's why I'm really concerned about this. The wrath of God is not no big deal. You know what Scripture teaches us? Don't be afraid of men, but I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. God. Now, not walking around in trembling fear if you know Him. There's no fear in love, and God is love. If you don't know Him, you better watch out. Seek Him. Be saved. Because the wrath of God is, 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 is the scariest thing that there is. Romans 1.18 The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of all people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God hates all wickedness. And some people think this chapter is all about homosexuality. It's not. It's about all people who are sold out to do wickedness. And part of how we fight wickedness in the world is preach the truth. So that's what we're going to do. Last week, if you weren't here, I, I think it was maybe one of the most important things in the message. I got Jonathan and Carissa to come up, and I said, What is this? <laughs> Pointed to Jonathan, What is this? Pointed to Chris. It was clear. A man and a woman. And they could change their appearance, they could change their outlook, they could change their attitude. It's not going to change what God made. Okay? We need to remember that. So, uh, listen to that message. It's online, but that's a little summary introduction. Today, here's what's on my heart. And I'm going to talk to men today, and you might think, men, maybe some of y'all might think I'm being hard on you. Next week, I'll speak to the women and see if I'm hard on them. Uh, so come back. <laughs> the only way I know how to preach a message like this is to try to yield to the burden God has given me. And a different preacher might handle this a different way. That's fine. I don't have some... This isn't something I came up with. I'm just trying to listen to what God put in my heart. The only way I know how to do it when we talk about men is to look at some of the things that Scripture teaches that God says, what does it mean to be a man? How should you live? And I, 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 there are expectations. Let me say to the young men for a minute, if you're under 60 years old, you're a young man. It's important what you do with your life. Amen. It matters. And the ones, I picked that age, I could have picked a different age, but the ones maybe older than that, you've, you've lived a lot of your life already. You're winding down. And God's still got work for you. But thank you for your faithfulness. I mean that. I need to start the message by saying that. I'm looking at the white hairs in here. Thank you, men. Women too. 
Thank you for standing for what matters. Otherwise, I don't know where we'd be. Now, this message is going to be a teaching lesson, but it'll also, I pray, have the power of God in it. There will be some overlap. I'm going to talk about principles of what it means to be a man. Some of this applies to just being an adult. So some of this applies to women too. But this is what Scripture teaches about men. And we'll talk specifically about women next time. The first principle that God brought to my heart is this. A man has dominion over his environment. Just saying a sentence like that, the people out there would say I'm a misogynist. They would accuse me of toxic masculinity, whatever that is. I mean that sincerely. Masculinity is not toxic. It keeps you from dying. There's no feminists in war zones. Fight. I mean, there's some women there, and, but, but men are who fight wars. Masculinity is good. And there's nothing toxic about it. You know what's bad? Sin. You know what's toxic? Sin. And both men and women sin. And if you're a man, you can sin. And you may focus on aspects of your nature that are corrupt and call that masculinity. And it's not. It's sin. So when, when I say a man has dominion over his environment, before we go any further, I want to make it clear, having dominion is not the same thing as having domination. There's a big, you know who has domination? Dictators. And it used to be culturally acceptable. A lot of the reason that we've shifted so far is because we were too far the other direction maybe 80 years ago. This idea that women are not people and second class citizens or something like that wasn't right either. But where we've swung to now, it's not helping anybody, especially women. We've swung so far that the people who used to protect women's rights are now abusing women's rights to allow insane people to say that they're women who aren't. That's not protecting women's rights and young women. So we need to focus on what what God has given us. Let's look at Genesis 1. And I want to remind you, we're going to look at beginning in verse 26. This creation story... God made everything. Everything God made was good. That's the truth. And the school systems have been brainwashing people for a long time that the opposite of that happened. Everything was an accident and exploded into something. Which any real scientist now... Darwin's idea of evolution has been so blown up. It's not, you can't even take it seriously if you're a real scientist anymore. I don't know if you know that. It's not like it was 50 years ago. It's a joke. Real scientists know that that's... Not even plausible. And we know from Scripture that God created everything and everything He made was good. You see a pattern in creation. He created each aspect of creation, there's this phrase, according to its kind. There was distinctions from the very beginning. And then in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Even within mankind or human beings, there is a division between male and female. They're not the same. If you look... In the wall, 
you don't see them in here, but the Sunday plugs. Do you know, we got some electricians in here. Y'all know the difference in a male and female end of a plug. It's like, it doesn't even make sense to say it's the same thing. It won't work. Right? Plumbers, it's the same way. The fittings have a male and female end. It's the same way with humans. Because God made it that way. And this is a beautiful thing. And he made even the man, mankind was different than everything else, and then within them, male and female were different. God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Isn't that beautiful? It's no accident that some of these noisiest people in our culture are telling you that you're a threat to the existence of the earth, that we need to reduce population because if we don't, we're all going to die, that the earth can't sustain us and support us, that you're violating some kind of sacred, I don't know, law or something if you eat anything out there. All of this is because they don't understand the truth. Do you know the New Testament, there's a place that says in the last days perilous times shall come. It talks about scoffers. It talks about people who are forbidding you to marry and commanding that you abstain from certain kinds of food or meats which God has created to be enjoyed. Everything used for the purpose of God is good. And we see here that God... There's two primary things that are so important. He gave them dominion over the earth and He said, be fruitful and multiply. This used to be sort of understood, and now it's been brainwashed out of people. If you're a young man or a young woman, and God has put it in your heart, you have a desire to be married, the best thing you could do is get married to somebody who loves the Lord and make a family. Do you know that? That is honoring to God. It's honoring to Him. Now, some women aren't able to have children. That's fine. You're not a less of a person. Some people have life circumstances where they weren't able to get married, whatever the case. That's okay. You can still serve the Lord. But I'm talking about what God created in the beginning. We don't need to focus on all the exceptions, on all the what-ifs. We need to focus on the, the substance of the truth. And the substance of the truth is God created earth and sky and seas and land, and then He created man, and He was different than everything else. And it was His job to have dominion over everything around Him. And he created woman, and he let them have a family, and he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Isn't that beautiful? What is dominion? Dominion means literally to rule. A king has dominion. A good king has the kind of dominion God is pleased with. A bad king is a tyrant. He has domination. But the word, the Hebrew word, if you look it up, the definition is to rule. I want to give you an example of this. Later in this passage, we see whatever Adam chose to call each animal, that was its name. He ruled over them. Their identity was bound to what he said it was. Isn't that amazing that God created all of this and he didn't name it? And Adam's job, one of the jobs God gave him, one of his purposes or function, was not like a tyrant to rule over things, but like a servant king to care for things. He had dominion. And the Lord allowed Adam to name each one of these animals. Now, dominion, as I said, is not the same thing as domination. Dominion is rooted in responsibility. 
A lot of people in our culture mistakenly think that work is part of the curse. That if Adam never sinned, you wouldn't have to work. That's how I feel, Brother John. You should see his face wrinkled up like it was ridiculous. Work is good, especially for young men. It's good for you. It was good before the fall. Work is not a curse. You know what's a curse? Laziness. That's a curse. You heard old people used to say, an idle mind's the devil's playground. We need people to say things like that more, because it's true. You want to stay out of trouble as a young man? Work. Do something that matters. And I don't mean you just have to go to a job where some, you, know, you push buttons. I mean do something, build something, make something, help somebody. Not all work is paid labor. But if you're a man, a young man, you better be working. You're not gonna ha- you can't serve God if you're not. You can't. God had jobs for Adam from the very beginning. He had to name the animals. He had to look after them. He had to um, make sure they were okay. Uh, we're going to get into how he dressed and kept the ground and what that means. But God gave him responsibility. And dominion is rooted in responsibility or service. Domination is rooted in control. Adam didn't have any issues with control before there was sin. He did what God gave him. God gave him work. He gave him a job. He did it. That's pleasing and honoring to God. Now, the effects of work changed after the curse and things got harder. (laughs) And uh, you know the part of the curse for men is by the sweat of his brow he'll eat bread all the days of his life. That's okay. You You know what? You need to embrace that too, man. Y'all might think I'm weird, and maybe I am. But I feel better when I do sweaty work than I do when I sit in front of a computer in air conditioning. I don't know if all men are that way. I think they might be somewhere deep inside. My wife knows. If I've spent too much time in the office, she can tell. She says, you need to get outside and split some firewood or something. She doesn't say it like that, but she knows that's what I need. I'm not okay if I'm not working for any long period of time. And that's somewhere deep inside of us. It's not just part of the curse. Now, part of having dominion over our environment is embracing physical labor. Men. Adam had to do physical labor before there was sin. And after. I mean, he might have had to do more of it after, and maybe it was less pleasant, would be an accurate way of saying it. I want to say carefully, to some of the older men who I singled out in the beginning with white hair... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking to y'all about this particular... You already worked. You, I'm not saying go get a job. <laughs> if you already worked for 50 or 60 years and you're retired, and, I'm not saying go get a... Understand. But you know what? A lot of you are still working. Even if you're not getting a paid paycheck, you're still contributing, you're still helping, you're still encouraging, you're still doing things that matter. I mentioned part of having dominion is embracing labor, physical labor. Um, Adam's job before uh, the fall was to dress and keep the garden. And he was a good steward. Genesis 2.15. I want to read this. I want you to see it because it's it's powerful. 2.15. The Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. That was before the curse. 
And I thought to myself, because of my cultural brainwashing, maybe dress and keep means something different than I think it does. Maybe he wasn't really working like it sounds. So I looked it up. I said, what do these words actually mean? The word dress, the Hebrew word that translated as, as dress, means to labor, to work, or to serve. Isn't that beautiful? That's why I said dominion is not domination. God gave Adam dominion, told him to dress, to serve the land. Not in a worshipful way, in a, in a, in a, a, a way that's worshipful to the Creator. Dress it and keep it, serve it. And the word keep, I thought, what does that mean? It means literally keep, guard, watch over, preserve, or protect. What did Adam have to preserve and protect the land from before sin? Isn't that interesting that these two words are the ones used? It also can mean, this word keep is translated in other contexts this way. Beware, watch, or be a watchman. God always gives us clear pictures of realities. He does it in a way that it's inescapable. And men, even though Adam's job was to take care of the land, the plants, the animals, this is a picture of our identity as men of God. To serve and protect. That's part of our identity. We're supposed to be protectors and we're supposed to serve and take care of. Adam was supposed to do that and it applied to, to the garden and then it applied to his wife once he had one. And it applies to all the people around us. Keep, guard, watch over, protect, preserve. Some of you listening, people listen to these messages all over the world and some of the people in other countries or other parts of the world might not understand this, but a lot of the men here today are carrying good if you don't know what I'm talking carrying guns. And here in Tennessee, that's perfectly legal and fine, acceptable. You know why? You're protectors. And even the ones who aren't, you're ready to stand up if you have to. That's our job, men. Now, it doesn't mean women can't protect people too. I'm not saying that. If somebody breaks into my house and I'm not there, my wife is going to protect our daughter to the best of her ability. But if I'm there, I'm, I'm the first line. That's our job. It's hardwired. Unless you've been corrupted by your culture, this is in you. And it go, it's in you generation to generation to generation all the way back to Adam. God built it into the DNA of Adam before he ever sinned. You're supposed to be a servant and a protector. Men. That's the core of our identity. Women have a different core. We'll talk about next time. And it doesn't mean there can't be some overlap. But the core of our identity is servant and protector. That's what having dominion really is. Part of a man having dominion is he embraces responsibility over comfort. You know the difference in a man and a boy? A boy does what's comfortable. A man does what's necessary. That's, that's the difference. I mean, there's more differences. But when you become a man, you stop operating to fulfill your own need for comfort. You start doing what needs doing, regardless of how it feels. And this is where I'll be harder on young men than young women. You need to get over yourself, men. Your job's not to be comfortable. 
Your job's not to have fun. Your job is to have dominion over everything around you, to protect the things that God made and to do what needs doing, whether you like it or not. That's what being a man is. And I'm, I'm tired of these uh, under-masculinized men. Uh, we've been brainwashed to be that way. Our environment's <laughs> reducing our hormone le- I mean, you can look. I don't want to get away from Scripture, but there's lots of research that testosterone levels are way down. It's not an accident. The enemy knows what he's doing. All the way back to Genesis, he's the most cunning and clever of all, everything. He still is. He's not the wisest. God is the wisest. It's not an accident that manhood is being reduced to toxic masculinity. It's not an accident. It's intentional. And men, you need to figure out what it means to be a man and do it. Whether people like it or not. Do you know part of the core part of a man? There's a difference in how women react to conflict and uncertainty and how men do. There is. I want to give you an example. I'm not the example, but I'm the only person who's lived this life. I haven't lived your life. Here's how a man resolves conflict. I, I used to work at the VA and I had a co-worker. If she were a man and I were a woman, she would have been fired for harassment. It doesn't work the other way. <laughs> she, she, was, she was bad. And uh, our, our workplace relations were really difficult. And finally... I tried to be, you know, kind and all this stuff. Basically, I didn't realize that I was trying to handle conflict like a woman would. And I got to where I I couldn't stand anymore. I had to handle it like a man would. And I went to her and I said, look, I don't like you. And you don't like me. I don't know why, because everybody else here likes me. I'm not sure why that is. We don't like each other. Let's stop trying to be friends. Let's stop talking. Let's just work. You know what? There was no more toxic workplace environment. It was over. That was how a man handles conflict with a woman. If she was a man, I might have handled it differently. Do you see? And this is not toxic masculinity. This is solution-oriented having dominion over my environment. A man embraces responsibility over comfort. Was that conversation comfortable? It was necessary. And it was better after I had it. This is not just my opinion that a man embraces responsibility over comfort. This is in Scripture. One of the first things we see. Uh, When God made Eve, at the end of the second chapter, 23rd verse, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, this is what Adam said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That's really fascinating that Adam concluded that when he didn't have a mother or father. How did he know that? I don't think this was something that was just thrown in later as a teaching point. The way this reads, Adam said it. Well, how do we... Because God told Moses that's what Adam said. And he did. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, shall be called woman. Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave unto his wife and there will be one flesh. How come this, the same thing is not said about women? Because it's not the same. 
You know, a lot of problems have come in marriages and families because the parents of the child who's getting married think that their family is expanding. It's not. I told my mama when I found my wife, I said, uh, I know you, you wanted me to find you a daughter, but I'm looking for a wife. It's, it's not my job to find you a daughter. It's my job to find a wife. Do you understand? And I hope that, that you're close to your in-laws and I hope your relationship is good. But young men, you're not expanding your parents' family. You're building your own. It's your job to leave your family. I don't mean stop loving them. I don't mean not take care of them if there's things. That, I'm not saying you terminate the relationship. I'm saying you cleave to your wife. She's your person now, not your mama. And mamas, you might not like me saying that. I'm sorry. This is scripture. I'm not saying you don't care about your mama. You don't take care of her. You don't, I'm not saying that. But you have a new first priority in your life. Your mama can't be in that place anymore. And mamas, uh, you need to let your sons do that. That's another sermon. I'm not even trying to preach about marriage. I'm just <laughs> trying to preach about men and women. <laughs> so that is all. Uh, uh, the rest of these points, I'm going to go faster. But the first point, that was all man has dominion over his environment. The second point that I want us to talk about is men provide and protect for those that they love. And we, we sort of touched on that, but let's look at it. 1 Timothy 5.8, If any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And let's look at a newer translation. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So let's make this very clear. When, when Adam says um, the man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, he's not talking about forsaking your responsibility as a son because this would be a, it's, it's a conflict. It's not. He's talking about embracing your responsibility as a husband. This is talking about the emotions of the relationship. Anyone who doesn't provide for his own has forsaken the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Isn't it beautiful how God always makes provision for the least uh, fortunate and the weakest of society? Even in this time where there wasn't a safety net from the government. There wasn't public social welfare programs. If your mama or your, fa- your dad, you know, they get old or injured, they can't take care of themselves anymore, there wasn't anybody else. It was your job as a son. And I don't think that's something that just needs to go away. I feel like what I just said a few minutes ago, my mom is still my responsibility. And Daniel's. And Jonathan, your mom's your responsibility. You understand? It's, it's both are true. Now, the man is responsible for those under his care. And I say, why are you so moved by that? It matters. It's a weight. It's a beautiful weight, but it's a weight. You're responsible. This is why you have to get over yourself and stop. It doesn't matter if you woke up with a migraine. It doesn't matter if you're depressed that day. It doesn't matter if you're feeling anxious that day. You know the best way to work through those things as a man? Go be a man. That's the best way to get through difficulties. I'm not saying those things aren't real. I've dealt with some of that. You know the best way to get through it? Be a man. 
I'm not saying don't have feelings. I'm saying embrace your responsibilities. And the feelings will pass. He's the primary protector and provider of his environment. I feel the need to say this. I don't have it. I wasn't prepared to, but I I need to. Um, I spent over a decade working with veterans. And the first part of my career, I talked to a lot of World War II veterans and their widows. And they went through some terrible things in war. And they came back from war and built the world we live in. They had difficulties. They had struggles. There was no name PTSD, but they had it. I talked to a woman who, for 60 years of marriage, every single night her husband cleared the house. If you don't know what that means, he gets his sidearm, he checks every room, he checks the perimeter every night. You know what he also did? Raised a family, had a career, built the world we live in. Something happened, and I'm not criticizing people because I love our OEF, OIF veterans too, and I love the current ones. But something happened where the younger guys, it's not the same. They're more broken. And it doesn't, they didn't go through harder things. They, they didn't. They, they went through war, which is in, unhuman, and, 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 and I'm a civilian. I didn't have to go through that, but I've talked to a lot of people who did. But something happened. That generation, here's the point I'm trying to get to. They went through difficult, unimaginable things, and they were still expected to be a man. I don't have any other option. If I don't take care of my wife and children, there's nobody else to. And now there's all these programs, all this, you don't have responsibility. I'm not criticizing younger veterans. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is World War II veterans, Vietnam veterans, Vietnam veterans went through some stuff that nobody else had to. And many of them still came home and built the world we live in. That's, that's, that's the objective. No matter how hard things have been, no matter what you've been through, lean on the Lord to help you and still do your job. You understand? I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but these are, this is part of, we're responsible for those around us. We're responsible for those under our care. The most beautiful picture of this, and you know, I thought a lot about, who's the best man who ever lived? Jesus. <laughs> He wasn't a wimp. I, I keep saying, this guy is not Jesus. That's not Jesus. White skin, floating around with a halo. He was a carpenter. He had rough hands. He had muscles. He hung out with sailors. Fishermen. I'm, the rough people in society were his friends. Now, he wasn't living their rough lifestyle with them. He redeemed them from it. But those were his friends. He wasn't a wimp. That's what I'm saying. Jesus was the best example of what a man was. And one of the last things he did before he died, he's on the cross. His life is about to leave him. He looks at his friend and says, there's your mother. Take care of her. To his, about his earthly mother. 
One of the less concerns he had as a dying man was, I'm going to make sure my mother is provided for. That's being a man. If anybody ever had a right to feel sorry about their sufferings, it was Jesus. And as he was dying, he was still concerned about those he was responsible for. Isn't that beautiful? He was responsible and he, he, he gave us that example, men. The third point, and this one is something we all struggle with. All of the honest men do. And the rest of them I don't want much to do with. A man has control over his own body. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. And I'm not just talking about lust. I'm talking about all of it. I saw a stat the other day that more than half of Americans are considering uh, drugs for weight loss. Say, what does that have to do with your sermon? A man's supposed to have control over his body. I'm not being mean to fat people. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I'm not. But... We're supposed to have control over our body. Paul says, I bring my body in subjection, lest preaching to others, I myself become a castaway. I'm not saying we should all be whatever movie star you... But, 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 but men, we, we should be strong. Do you know part of my job, our society has smushed this out of us. Part of my job is to be strong enough to take care of my wife and daughter. Now, it's a little bit harder when my wife's were the same size. She doesn't like me saying that. And let me make very clear, I'm probably 40 pounds heavier than her. But we're the same height. I should still be stronger than her. That's part of being a man. And of course there are exceptions. Maybe there are men with illnesses or, or disabilities or you lost your legs or something. I'm not picking on the exceptions. I'm talking about the big picture thing that God made. It's not okay, men, to turn into a blob. It's not okay. It's a problem in our society. You look around at people in their 50s and they can barely... I'm talking about men because they've never kept their body in shape. They've never... uh, uh, How are you going to protect somebody if you can't run more than five feet? Really? And uh, Brother Bob's giggling back there. Are you 84? 84? Yeah. He's he's in better shape than a lot of 50-year-old men. Open heart surgery, cut him open gate, and I helped him cut his tree up and he's out there helping me. He had to rest every now and then, but he's not going to stop. There's something about, that's, I, that's in me. My wife tells me, why are you so hard-headed when you're sick? You know how I think the best way to cure sickness? I really do. Whatever's, the other day, something happened to my shoulder, I could barely move it. I said, I need to go work. I've been in this computer too long. I got my weed eater and went out to a property and weed eated it for six hours. Really. You know what? The shoulder's fine. There's something about that. It's in us, all the way back to Adam. I'm not saying you have to be an athlete or a bodybuilder. I'm saying it's important, men. I don't think you can have a healthy spiritual life if your body's a blob when you're 40 years old or 30 years old. I'm not talking about 80 or 90 year olds. You understand? Do you all think, am I wrong? He has a control over his own body. He's not a slave. Part of having control over your own body, this is discipline. What I'm talking about here is discipline, which is difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. 
He's not a slave to the appetites of his own flesh. You know what you see in every society that's winding down and about to be destroyed? People, especially men, are slaves to the appetites of their own flesh. They eat too much, drink too much, and do the other stuff too much. You're supposed to be working. You're supposed to be building the future. You're supposed to care about the generations that are coming. I believe a good man should think more about his grandchildren than himself, whether he has any or not. That's where my heart is. Children that aren't even born yet. Why? Because God put it there when He made me. A godly man develops and exercises discipline, not just physically. Now this, I feel like in many ways I struggle with discipline. It doesn't mean I should give up on it. We're supposed to be disciplined men. How's your family, your wife and children going to learn to be disciplined if you're not? It's our job. I'm thankful. I mentioned veterans earlier. We've got some in this room. We've got a Marine. We've got a retired Air Force guy. got an Army guy. I don't know if we have any others. Thank you. You know, I learned a whole lot about discipline from the veterans I worked with, the men I worked with. And uh, I still lack in some areas, but I'm trying to get better because it's my job. I want to move to the next point. A man pursues wisdom and conforms his life and actions to what he knows to be true rather than what he simply desires. A man, a good man, pursues wisdom and then conforms his life to that. Man, part of our job is to figure out what the right thing is and then to do it. Not to do what feels comfortable. Not to do what's easy. It's our responsibility to know the truth and then to teach it to our families and those under our care. I want to explain something to you. I don't know if you've thought about it before. We we don't really talk about it a lot. God gave the law, the rule, the one rule, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to Adam. Eve wasn't there. You read it, he gave it to Adam. Isn't that interesting? Maybe Eve ate the fruit because Adam failed. And I believe that. He didn't do his job well enough. It was his job to make sure his wife understood the truth and then to protect her. Servant and protector. And then Adam, when, he, when sin crept in, this is what sin does. It, it perverts things and it makes you see things that aren't real or aren't the way they should be. God comes to him and says what happened. He said, this woman you gave me, <laughs> she did it. It's her fault. Which he was really saying, God, it's your fault. You gave her to me. You know what a man would have said? I messed up. This is my fault. I was supposed to protect her and I didn't. That was sin talking. That was corruption talking. That wasn't what God created talking. If Adam was responsible for dressing and keeping or serving and protecting the plants, don't you think he was responsible for the same thing with his wife? Yes, it's part of his identity. One scripture I want to mention, this is quoted all the time out of context. Where there's no vision, the people perish. <laughs> you know what the, the verse really says this, where there's no direct revelation from the Lord, the people cast off restraint. That's what it means. Men... Part of our job in pursuing truth is to get a revelation from God, a direct revelation from God, so that our families don't perish. 
so that the world doesn't perish. It's our job to know what God thinks. You know that? That's our job. Not just preachers. Not just deacons. Not just some authority in the church. It's, it's our job as men to seek the Lord, to get a vision from Him, to get a revelation from Him about what He wants for our lives. The fifth point. I've only got seven, so I'm, I'm almost more than halfway done. A man. This is something... I actually saw this characteristic in my mother a lot when I was growing up. Sometimes you have an imbalanced home environment and God allows the other person who shouldn't have to to embody some of these things. That's a mute, and I'll talk more about women next time, but something about women is they can be whatever they have to be. It's amazing. I mean, but it doesn't mean it's right. And so this thing I saw more in my mom, because my dad was, he was a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But a man, a godly man, he's supposed to be calm in the midst of storms. Men, how you feel doesn't matter that much. Your emotions aren't supposed to lead your life. A lot of people, they get up and they do something if they feel like it, and if they don't feel like it, they don't. I'm feeling down today, I'm feeling depressed today, I'm feeling upset today, I'm feel whatever. doesn't matter, man. Let the women feel that way. No amens? I got some from the women. <laughs> A man's calm in the midst of storms. He's steady in the face of adversity. He's not easily to- tossed about. I'm not just talking about physically, I'm talking more about emotional resiliency. Men, we're supposed to be steady. Stable. You sp- my favorite thing, one of my favorite things about my grandfather, who was, I've, I've told you all many times, he was my mentor in the gospel and my life mentor and a sinner. He didn't pretend not to be. I loved that about him. He was a man. Uh, but he w- I never wonder what he thought about anything that mattered. It might hurt some people's feelings. Maybe sometimes he was too direct. Maybe sometimes he wasn't kind enough, but I never had to wonder what he believed. That's part of being a man. He's not easily tossed about. He's steadfast. He's stable. Not just in the midst of life, but in the midst of temptation. Again, Jesus was the best example. He was tempted by Satan for 40 days, which I cannot imagine. I can't go without food for 40 days and water and everything else, and be tempted. Can you imagine? We can't even imagine that. He was stable and steady. He never faltered. He never failed. His answer was consistent every time. That's part of being a godly man. You don't, you're not wishy-washy. You don't, young men who are married or anybody, you don't bend to your wife's emotional mood. You're steady. You don't bend to the winds of society. You're steady, you're stable, you're dependable, you're reliable. That's being a man. He's not easily tossed about. The only way you can be emotionally stable and not easily tossed about is to be a single-minded man. Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Get your eyes on Jesus. That's the only way you're going to be a stable man like you should be. Get your eyes on Jesus. The light of the body is the eye. Get your eyes on Him and let your body be illuminated by the light of the Holy Spirit. 
The sixth point, two more, the sixth point. Y'all have heard this saying uh, or statement that people used to say it more. They should probably say it more again. Real men don't cry. Y'all have heard that? I'm not going to say that's my point. My point is a, a real man shows emotion as appropriate based on the circumstances he's in. Real men do cry, but not all the time. How much did Jesus cry? I don't know exactly how much he cried, but the only time we see this phrase, Jesus wept, was when his friend Lazarus died. Now, if I was Jesus, I would have been crying all the time. I mean, every person that comes to see me is broken, has some a horrible disability, has a demon a, a, oppression, and I know that no matter what I do in my life, I'm going to die at about 33 years old a horrible death. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Scripture tells us that. But when you see the interactions that he had with people, he wasn't going around like some whiny person crying all the time. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but the only time we see Jesus wept was in that one occasion. He carried his sorrows and he still helped the people. Do you understand? I would say this. I wouldn't say real men don't cry. I would say men who have their eyes on Jesus don't cry over their own problems. I think that's an appropriate way to say it. Doesn't mean you don't have problems. It doesn't mean you might not need to talk to somebody. That's why the brotherhood is so important. That's why these veterans I mentioned 50, 60 years later, some guy they served in, 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 in a unit with, that's their brother. It doesn't matter if they lived in different states for five decades. Still their brother. There's something about that that's important. I'm not saying you can't have support or you can't get help. But I'm saying, um, men, we don't have the luxury of feeling sorry for ourselves. The wor- too many things are going on in the world. There's too much brokenness. There's too many children being abused. There's too many women being abused. We- there's too much lies. There's too much corruption. We don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves, men. We don't. Jesus, although he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he embraced his own suffering without complaining. As a, as a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Or as a sheaf before his shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He didn't complain. Jesus wept over Lazarus. You don't see him weep and carry in the cross. You know that? Doesn't mean it didn't hurt. Doesn't mean it wasn't strong. Or difficult, it means he had a job to do. And he was strong to do that job. The final point, and that leads into this final point. Men, and some women have to be this way too, but this is supposed to be men. Men are strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. Primarily. Not primarily nice and gentle. Primarily strong and courageous. Doesn't mean you can't be nice and gentle. I need to be nice and gentle to those two sitting there. But at the core of my identity, I'm supposed to be strong and courageous. You see that all through Scripture. You see it with Moses and delivering the people that God gave him to deliver. You see it with Joshua and the Lord told him over and over, 
only be strong and courageous. Every obstacle before you, every task before you, just be strong and courageous. You know, him, Joshua being strong and courageous helped him see the truth of reality that other people couldn't see. You remember that when the scouts went into the promised land and 10 out of the 12 men came back and all they saw was the difficulty. All they saw was the enemies bigger than us. There's giants over there. And then the other two faithful ones, Joshua and Caleb, they came back and said there's really big fruit over there. That's the difference, men. When you're strong and courageous, you see opportunity instead of discouragement. Doesn't mean you can't be discouraged, but you better not stay there. You don't have that luxury. I get discouraged sometimes. I think Jesus got discouraged sometimes. He got sad sometimes. He got overwhelmed. When He got on the boat sometimes and left all the people behind, it's because He was overwhelmed and needed to be alone with His Father. Do that and then come back to your life and be a man. Don't stay there. Be strong and courageous. Jesus in the temple. Jesus is always our best example. He comes and he finds something going on that's not supposed to be going on. The culture has corrupted religion. He comes into the temple and they've turned it into... I mean, the atmosphere there probably felt more like a casino than a church that day. And he's mad about it. He's filled with righteous rage. What does he do? Talk real gently and be kind and not hurt their feet? No, he makes a whip out of rope, throws over tables, and chases them out. See, a man should never be angry. Guess what? Jesus was angry and he didn't sin. Now, men, we're not Jesus. Usually if I do something like that, I'm sinning and I'm angry and it's a problem. But we should have the capacity for something like that if it's necessary. You think a blob of a man could have done that? Run in there. I mentioned physical fitness. Jesus was fit. He walked around everywhere. He worked with his hands. He was strong enough to throw the tables over. And there was something about him that was manly enough the people actually left when he said to. If he was that, they wouldn't have left. They would have laughed. He was a man. I used to want to take this thing down. I, it's served as a really good prop lately, so I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll keep it. You know what? I'm being serious. Jesus, he's so much beyond anything we could put on paper or in a painting. And this idea that he was nice and gentle and carrying around lambs and sheep all the time—he wasn't. He was a man doing his job. Did he have tenderness? Absolutely, more love than anybody we've ever known. He still loves me more than anybody I've ever known. But he was a man. Men are strong and courageous. I want to re-say these points to you and I'll finish. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll talk about what God thinks about women. A man has dominion over his environment. He protects and provides for those he loves. He uh, has discipline or control over his own body. He pursues wisdom and conforms his life and actions to what he knows to be true rather than what he just wants. He's calm in the midst of storms. He shows emotion as appropriate based on the circumstances and he's strong and courageous. God, raise up men. Lord Jesus, raise up men.